But we're going to jump into the Word of God. And I love opening God's Word. It's so rich, it's so powerful, and it speaks to our everyday. So wherever you're watching from and whatever time you're watching, you may be watching this delayed, welcome. Because I believe God's got something to say to you today. Our theme as a church for the year is to make room to make room for God, for relationships. And in this whole upheaval of the COVID-19, we've been forced to do different things and to create more space in our lives. And in Matthew 6, verse 33, Jesus says, steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. Then all these less important things will be given to you abundantly. I think pre this experience, our focus was so much on the less important things. And I believe God's given us an opportunity to do a major reset, to get back to what's most important, our relationship with Him, our relationship with each other, even if it's had to be done across Zoom or one of the other technologies. But that whole thing of connecting and prioritizing and redoing life. And I urge you, hang on to the good things that come out of this. But this morning I've entitled the message Snakes and Ladders and we're going to spend a bit of time in the last part of Romans chapter 8. And one of the most powerful declarations in the whole of God's word specific to a situation like we're in now or if you're in some other kind of crisis situation is Romans 8 and verse 28. So we are convinced, we are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together to fit into God's perfect plan of bringing good into our lives. It goes on to say, for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. But I want you to get the conviction that the Apostle Paul has. We are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together to fit into God's perfect plan of bringing good into our lives. And right now there may be a reaction. Well, how can any good come out of what we're going through, whether as a nation or internationally or the chaos, the upheaval, the pain that people are experiencing, the loss? Forrest Gump famously said that life was like a box of chocolates because you never know what you're going to get. He said, Mama told me that. But I think at the moment, and this is where I get the sermon title from, it feels more like a game of snakes and ladders. And I've got a vivid picture in my mind as kids playing snakes and ladders with my two sisters who cheated, but that's another story. And that dread when you roll the dice and you get to where you think you're just going to get higher up a ladder and finally you've landed on a snake and you go all the way down. And I think it feels like that at the moment. We're making progress and then we drop back. And that's why it feels like a bit of like a game of snakes and ladders life right now. This uncertainty, which is all around us, creates fear and insecurity. And as human beings, we hate that. Everything in us wants to fight for security to make things safe. But what we need to understand, and this is such a powerful thought, is that uncertainty is God's favorite environment to work in our lives. 
because he gets so much accomplished when our world is turned upside down. Now, he's not the author of that. He's not the initiator of that. Life happens. And we'll look at what Paul has to say about that in Romans 8 in a moment. But uncertainty is God's favorite environment. And there's so many stories in the Bible. Can you imagine Joseph being uh, attacked by his brothers, dropped into a pit and hear them talking about whether they're going to kill him or sell him into slavery. The uncertainty, the fear they would have got. And then years later, as it unfolds, 15, 16 years later, he suddenly looks back and sees God's plan, God's purpose. God worked best in his life in the moments of uncertainty. And you can follow that concept through the whole Bible, God intervening into people's lives, into the lives of nations in times of uncertainty. Because in the uncertainty, God gets our attention. All over the world, there are these stories of people turning to God, seeking out God in a fresh and a new way. Because in crisis, something within us knows to lift up our heads, to call out to God. In uncertain times, our core values and what's really important, what we need to prioritize begins to emerge. It's a place where we can make a choice to start to trust God. And that's key to this message, that choice of trusting God in the midst of uncertainty. And it's also the time when in uncertainty, we begin to value community above entertainment or other things. And there's nothing wrong with entertainment, enjoying that. But suddenly the need, the realization, we actually need each other as human beings. Paul says in this passage, Romans 8 and verse 18, and it's the opening verse of the section that I want to deal with. He says, I consider our present sufferings not worth comparing for the glory that will be revealed in us. And when he talks about the glory, the glory is the essence of God's life being revealed. And yeah, there is a sense in which he's talking about eternity. And that's really significant and important. But I believe that as we come out of this global experience, there will be a glory revealed in people who've lent in and have learned to trust God in the middle of the crisis, in the middle of the uncertainty. You see, we look at a time like this and go, where's God? What's God's up to? But then we discover God's not absent. He's actually diligently working in our lives, in nations, across the planet, doing something extraordinary in our circumstance. The question that I pose is how do we remain hopeful in a hopelessly broken world? And the sense of brokenness and the sense of how fragile life and everything that we have constructed as human beings is, is exposed in a period like this. And we all wrestle with this dilemma. We find that we had placed our hope in someone or in something only to see that all come crashing down. And there's probably thoughts of why do I bother? Why should I try? What's the use? What's the point? How am I going to get out of this? And Paul challenges us to trust God, even when it seems hard to find him or to understand what he's doing. And I want to drop into Romans 8 verse 
18 to 39. This is such a rich, rich passage of scripture. And we're not going to be able to explore everything into it. So I encourage you, why don't you read that passage a few times through this week? In fact, read it out loud to yourself, maybe to others. Romans 8 verse 18 to 39. Because in it, he encourages us in the midst of crisis, the best thing we can do is to trust that God is love. And even if we don't know what he's doing, because we know his character is love, we know he's working something good for us. Paul starts off by talking about what I'm going to call the wall of hopelessness, because hope is like a ladder that we lean against a wall hoping and trusting that it'll support our dreams, that it will give us security, that it will secure our future. And where you place your hope and where you put your trust determines your ability to maintain hope for time and ultimately for eternity. And I want you to picture this, your life as a ladder, the wall as what you trust in, what you're leaning against, And for many of us, we've had a whole lot of things that we've been leaning against. I love the quote from Stephen Covey. If the ladder is not leaning against the right wall, every step we take gets us to the wrong place faster. It's really important what you put in your trusting, what the ladder of your life is leaning against. Because hope is the thing that we do when we put our trust in a person or a thing that we put our confidence in as relating to our future and our expectations. And when we find what we've been leaning against crumbles, you lose your job, you lose a loved one, something happens, you suddenly confine all the stuff that you've experienced, that wall begins to crumble and the ladder of your life collapses. So what you lean against, what you put your trust in is really important. And we know that feeling of hopelessness when our expectations are dashed, when our hope has been taken away. That feeling comes when we know that the person or the thing that we put our confidence in didn't deserve it and it cannot deliver because hope is like oxygen to our soul. I want you to catch that. Maybe put that in the comments. Hope is like oxygen to your soul. And when it begins to evaporate, it's literally like a person gasping for air, trying to find something, snatching at something to bring hope back into their lives. And without hope, we do feel hopeless, helpless and powerless. And throughout the pages of Scripture, we are urged over and over and over again to put our hope not in things, not in other people. We need other people in our lives but to ultimately put our hope in God, to lean the ladder of our life against the secure wall of God's love, God's power, God's mercy, God's compassion towards us. In Psalm 33 and verse 22, the psalmist says, let your unfailing love surround us. Lord, for our hope is in you alone. Our hope is in you alone. The only way to maintain hope in a broken world is to put your hope in God. You see, we believe we can fix stuff. That through science, through exercise, hope you'll be doing some of that. 
medication, surgery, education. We, we can secure our world, control our world enough that we become untouchable. And I'm thankful for all the advances, all the blessings that those things bring into our lives. I'm thankful for the age we live in, in terms of all of those things. But we suddenly realize in a time like this, they cannot save us. They cannot secure everything in our lives. As good as they are, as have they've improved our lives, they cannot sustain us. Because when COVID-19, or whether it's even a personal crisis, crashes into your life, it throws our lives into chaos. And you've got to remember the words we're looking at here are written by the Apostle Paul under the rule of the Romans and Nero was the Caesar. It was a brutal time. It was a chaotic time. It was a megalomaniac destroying people's lives. Everything was uncertain in life except one thing, God's love that you could put your trust in, even if the chaos around you made no sense. See, Paul tells us that as human beings, we're in this constant fight with frustration. I'm not just talking about frustration of a Canberra driver or a Sydney driver or probably Melbourne's about the worst, Brisbane, I, I don't know, wherever you come from. But he's talking about a greater frustration. In fact, the word can be translated futility. Let's go to the passage of Scripture, Romans 8, verse 20 and following. For he says, when sin entered the world, the whole of creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of one who subjected it. But listen to it was subjected to it in hope that the creation itself would be liberated from its bondage and decay. I want you to catch this. The whole of creation, everything around us, the minute sin entered the world through Adam and Eve, frustration entered the world, the sense of futility. And we spend our whole lives fighting against that frustration. See, a few things just from that passage. Number one is that God views sin as a fatal disease. And that once it was introduced to the, into the world, it infected everything. Listen to the words again. For the creation was subjected to frustration, bondage to decay, and ultimately to death. Don't worry, the good news is coming. The problem is we think of sin as an isolated act, that it's my sin and it doesn't affect anything else or anyone else. But Paul is telling us here that when sin entered the world, yes, it affected God's purpose for an individual. When sin enters your world and we're all sinners, we're all broken in the sense, it affects us individually. But he's saying, no, it actually spread out and infected the whole of creation. For creation was subjected to frustration. The other word is translated futility. And we see that all around us, especially in a time like this or in a time of personal crisis brought on by something else. We're frustrated by the inability to control things. And frustration and disappointment are intertwined to the very fabric of our world. And we do everything we can to fight it off, to keep it at a bay. And I'm optimistic. I'm not being fatalistic about this. I'm just dealing with the reality of what happens with this thing called sin that spread out, not just into individual lives, but infected the whole planet. 
incredibly difficult for people who are control freaks because they continually frustrated that the world and people just won't cooperate. And every instinct is to force it back into control and they may control it for a bit and then suddenly it breaks out. But Paul says this causes something to happen in our lives. This recognition that the whole of creation, yes, us as individuals, are subject to the frustration produced by our brokenness, by our sinfulness, is it causes us to long for something better. That sense that eternity is in our hearts, in our lives. All creation has been groaning, the scripture says. We're down to verse 22. All creation has been groaning. And he says, and we believers also groan. And then he says something that's so powerful. We have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. He says creation is groaning under the weight of this infection called sin that produces brokenness. We groaning, we recognize that even though we've put our faith, our trust in Jesus, we're still broken. We still sin. We're not perfect. We have no right to look down out our nose at anybody. And the whole of creation groans. Every human being groans. But as believers, the Holy Spirit is within us to give us a hope and an expectation of a better future. Yes, in the immediate, but we're talking also about eternity here. And he's urging us, don't connect your hope to things in this world because it's all decaying and nothing is as stable as it looks. The fourth thing is we have hope for the future. And he says this, for this is the hope of our salvation. But hope means that we must trust and wait for what is still unseen. I want you to catch that. It says hope doesn't materialize answers instantly. Hope is something that you extend because you trust God. You have confidence in his character. You know that he is a God of love and because he loves you, even if you don't understand, even if you don't have immediate answers, you can trust for the future. And it's an incredible thing because hope is a characteristic of God. A little bit later in the book of Romans, Romans 15, 13, he says, may the God of hope, I love that. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, even though Paul brings this idea of the cosmic fall, not just the fall of an individual, into sin, but that it was a cosmic fall. The whole of creation plunged under the weight and the groaning and the frustration of sin. That fall is not the final word. The final word is with the God of all hope who brings hope to your life. I want you to catch that. The final word is hope that comes from the God of all hope who can fill your hearts with joy and hope to the point that it overflows, sealed by the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you've been leaning the ladder of your life against things in this world, you've seen them crumble. And if not now, then some other time. And the choice is to pick up your ladder the ladder of your life and lean it against the wall of God's love, the wall of God's hope. Do we plan? 
Of course we do. Do we still dream? Yes. Do we still pursue progress? Absolutely. Do we build? Yes. Do we try and improve our society? Absolutely. This is not a message of fatalism. We do all those things. The difference is we don't put our hope in our plans, in our dreams, in our ambitions. We put our hope in the God of all hope who loves us unconditionally. And that's Paul's message here. The understanding that everything around us is temporary and God is eternal and we can put our hope and our trust in Him. In doing so, we move the ladder of our life from insecure things to something that is eternal. And that's how Paul concludes in this magnificent passage of Scripture. And like I said, there's so much in it that we could draw out. But I want to just conclude with three simple things in the final words of this incredible chapter. Remember, we're looking at Romans 8, verse 18 to 39. I've given you a quick outline of the key thoughts. But the first thing he says about this God of hope is that he sends his Holy Spirit to help us. Listen to these words, Romans 8, verse 26, 27. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness, in our frailty. You're feeling weak, you're feeling vulnerable, you're feeling insecure. Well, right now, I believe the power of the Holy Spirit is going to come and help you. The word help is such an incredible word in the Greek. In fact, Paul creates the word. He combines three words and puts it into one. I'm not even going to try and pronounce it. And to translate it help is just so feeble in a sense. But literally the picture that he gives us is somebody struggling with a heavy load and it's weighing them down, it's crushing them. And then somebody stronger coming along, picks up the heavy end of the burden and helps them carry it. That's the picture, the Holy Spirit coming to help you carry the load, the weight, the worry, the concern, the anxiety for your future. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray, but the Holy Spirit prays with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the whole and the Spirit pleads for us in harmony with God's unwill. Let the Holy Spirit have access to your heart and life. The second thing is this declaration, no matter what's going on in your world, God is working for you. We started that with our opening verse. We know that God causes everything. Put in the chat box, everything, not just some things. Everything in your life, God can work in and through. And He works together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Once we know that God's character is love, we can trust him, even if we don't understand, because he know, we know that whatever he's doing in and through our lives, seen, unseen, is an act of his love. I want you to get that because this is the key thought. Paul can't explain all the pain. Paul can't explain all the chaos. Paul can't explain Nero's actions. But he says, I know that God is love and that nothing will separate me from the love of God. So I know that whatever's going on in my world, God is working something good for me. And the third thing, let God's love embrace you. Paul, in this magnificent passage, poses this question. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? 
Does it mean he's no, no longer loves us when we have trouble or calamity or persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death or dealing with COVID-19? Listen to that, this question that he asked. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or are hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? And then he answers it. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Nothing in all of creation is ever able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I want you to catch that. Can anything separate us? He says, no, absolutely nothing. You may be dealing with trouble, and the word trouble there means to be under extraordinary pressure, calamity, persecution, hunger, destitute, danger, threatened by death, dealing with the upheaval of COVID-19. He said, is that able to separate you from God's love? Absolutely nothing. He says there is nothing in all of creation that groans under the weight of sin and brokenness. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God that is Christ Jesus. And because of that, you can experience overwhelming victory. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. My question is, have you received that love by receiving the person of the Lord Jesus Christ? <laughs> 